Let my prayer be set forth in thy sight as the incense, and let the lifting up of my hands be an evening sacrifice. Let us humbly confess our sins unto Almighty God. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore thou those who are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind, in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you absolution and remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. O Lord, open thou our lips. And our mouth shall show forth thy praise. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Praise ye the Lord. The Lord's name be praised. Psalm 90, page 453. Lord, thou hast been our refuge from one generation to another. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever the earth and the world were made, thou art God from everlasting and world without end. Thou turnest man to destruction. Again thou sayest, Come again, ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. As soon as thou scatterest them, they are even as asleep, and fade away suddenly like the grass. In the morning it is green and groweth up, but in the evening it is cut down, dried up, and withered. For we consume away in thy displeasure, and are afraid at thy wrathful indignation. Thou hast set our misdeeds before thee, and our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For when thou art angry, all our days are gone. We bring our years to an end, as it were a tale that is told. The days of our age are threescore years and ten, and though men be so strong that they come to fourscore years, yet is their strength then but labor and sorrow, though soon passeth it away, and we are gone. But who regardeth the power of thy wrath, or feareth the right thy indignation? So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our tears, our hearts unto wisdom. Turn thee again, O Lord, at the last and be gracious unto thy servants. O oh, satisfy us with thy mercy, and that soon, so shall we rejoice and be glad all the days of our life. Comfort us again now after the time that thou hast plagued us, 
and for the years wherein we have suffered adversity. Show thy servants thy work, and their children thy glory. And the glorious majesty of the Lord our God be upon us. Prosper thou the work of our hands upon us. O prosper thou our handiwork. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Here begins the ninth, my, oh, sorry. Here begins the eighth chapter of the book of the prophet Nehemiah. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand. And all the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly, because they understood the words that were declared to them. Here ends the first lesson. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath magnified me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him throughout all generations. He hath showed strength with his men. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seat, and hath exalted the humble and meek. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He, remembering his mercy, hath holpen his servant Israel, as he promised to our forefathers Abraham and his seed forever. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Here begins the eighth verse of the 14th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lysonian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. 
Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men with the same nature as you, and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God, who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Here ends the second lesson. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles, and to be the glory of thy people Israel. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with thy spirit. Let us pray. O Lord, show thy mercy upon us. And grant us thy salvation. O Lord, save the state. And mercifully hear us when we call upon thee. And do thy ministers with righteousness and make thy chosen people joyful. O Lord, save thy people. And bless thine inheritance. Give peace in our time, O Lord. For it is thou, Lord, only that makest us dwell in safety. O God, make clean our hearts within us. And take not thy Holy Spirit from us. O Lord, we beseech thee mercifully to hear us, and grant that we, to whom thou hast given an hearty desire to pray, may by thy mighty aid be defended and comforted in all dangers and adversities through jesus christ our lord amen o god from whom all holy desires all good counsels and all just works do proceed give unto thy servants that peace which the world cannot give that our hearts may be set to obey thy commandments and also that by thee we being defended from the fear of our enemies may pass our time in rest and quietness through the merits of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Lighten our darkness, we beseech thee, O Lord, and by thy great mercy defend us from all perils and dangers of this night, for the love of thy only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Good evening, all. A couple of thoughts about our lessons for tonight. Um, I think we do best to begin with the psalm. It's it's kind of the, the pretext to both of our um, lessons for tonight the 
Psalm 90 is one of the few, I think it is the only one in the Psalter attributed to Moses. Um, and it's this reflection on the, um, on a strange kind of, you know, you know, you know, kind of collusion and collision of two different, um, two different things that the scriptures speak a lot about. One is the sort of the temporality, the very sort of fragile temporality of human life and the frailty of human life um, set against the eternity and substantial um, quality of God's life. Um, and Psalm 90 brings these things close together, um, first by reflecting on the comparison between human life and divine life and God's own life. Um, not only in terms of the longevity of God, his ancientness um, and the ancientness of the world that he has made and the, um, you know, by contrast, the fleeting um, quality of human life in the midst of that, but then also the the substance of God's life next to the um, relative um, emptiness and uh, sort of vaporiousness and dustiness of human life. And those are the sort of poetic images we get as recurring um, in the Psalter to, to look at human life. It's like a grass that, um, you know, springs up from the dew of the evening and gets a barely, barely a shot before the heat of the day sort of comes over and scorches it to pieces. And that, you know, is this is a kind of somber reflection on the brevity of human life and of its um, insubstantial quality. Um, and this is, you know, made more, um, you know, put there's some pressure put on this point in Psalm 90, especially when we get to the idea that when we have offended God, um, this is a dire situation because, you know, we, we know if we are so frail and so insubstantial next to the, you know, ancientness and the fullness of God's life, you know, if he were to, if he were to be angry at us, you know, when he is angry at us, how can we possibly hope to, you know, stand up beneath that? It would crush us to the earth, right? Um, and so the gravity of that is, 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 re is emphasized by the, by this early comparison in the Psalm. So in the later Psalm, you know, it's it's we cannot stand unless you make us to stand. We cannot, you know, lift ourselves off the ground and become more than just, you know, pressed against the dust from which we were gathered unless you lift us up and hold us up. And in the end, it's a reflection not on the not with a kind of despondent or despairing view of, of human brevity, but rather on the goodness and the loving kindness of God to continue to uphold um, humanity despite its you know frailty. Um, and despite, even in the midst of his own sort of, um, even if his own judgment on humanity, right, there's, you know, it reorients our perspective of that judgment to be not that God kind of gets offended by what we do and gives us, you know, both barrels of his judgment. And then, you know, we have just enough to kind of eke by and continue on. No, that's not how it really works. God, even in the midst of judging, is also upholding in the midst of his judgment. Um, because if he were not doing both of those things, the judgment would completely obliterate anything it was directed toward. And that's the pretext of the of the lessons that come, um, because both of those things become integral realities that we that the faithful are always called to observe is that we have, you know, sinned grievously in thought, word and deed. We should not be able to stand um, with any kind of dignity before God. And yet, nevertheless, because of his grace, because of his loving kindness, he upholds us even in the midst of the times that he is chastising us for the things that we have done wrong, the things we have not been faithful in. And so he's, he's both the, the agent of our sort of, you know, purification and sanctification and also the agent of, of, of holding us up. He is our advocate and our judge at the same time. Um, and that's a, and that we were called to meditate on those simultaneously at all times. 
So when we get to the book of Nehemiah, of course, we have a reading of the law, which is, you know, one, one of the first, they're back in Jerusalem again after the captivity. All these things have taken place. And, you know, the early clues in Nehemiah 8 clue us into the fact that they are instituting a practice in Jerusalem that had become um, the way that they encountered, uh, had conducted worship while abroad in captivity, um, not having access to a temple that had been destroyed for all of those years in Babylon and Persia. Um, the practice uh, developed around the opening of the law by those who could still read the law, which as the years went by was a diminishing group of people, um, given that, you know, they were learning the languages of the places they had been sent, not the Hebrew language in which the, you know, the sacred texts were written. And so um, Nehemiah 8 begins with, you know, a gathering as many people as could be gathered to hear again the law. And, you know, this this is a reading. It's like if we were in the liturgy of the word in mass, right? This is instead of a quick epistle and a quick gospel reading, this is three hours of sustained, you know, reading from the scriptures um, that the people were standing for the entire time in, you know, in respect for the law. And the result of this is that they, you know, that there's the reading of these things and then there is an exposition of these things. There is an explanation of what's going on in the text. And this gives us the basic structure that has be, that has come through the generations to be our liturgy of the word. Um, that this was picked, this was this per, this practice persisted into the ap time of the apostles, and then was integrated into the worship of the early Christians. Um, and then, so what we have there is this reading of the law and this proclamation of of of, of God's you know works among His people. And the result of this is that everybody is is grievous is, is aggrieved by this. They're 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 grievously penitent. Like we have not upheld this thing. This is the defining, you know, these are the defining things of our people. And we have not upheld these. We have not walked in the way of the Lord. And they are they are like bitterly grieved to the heart and are like rending their clothes and are and are sitting in sackcloth and ashes. They are conducting a kind of corporate penitence, saying, like, we, you know, God has been so great. We have not been on our we are, you know, we bear now the sin, our own sins and the sins of our fathers. What are we to do? And the ending of Nehemiah, this part of Nehemiah 8 is curious because it's a, it happens that this is happening on a day of, of festivity. It's a feast day that's been declared back in, um, that was declared back in Leviticus chapter 24, the Feast of Loud Trumpets, as it was called. Um, and it was to signal that, you know, the Day of Atonement was, was coming. Um, and it was a day, it was on the first day of the seventh month, sort of the, the seventh of the months, you know, the, the, which is always a sacred number. And the first day of that was a day of rest and, um, and feasting. Um, you know, in that rest with each other. And and so there's this disparity again we see in the psalm, right? Like, you know, we we just got confronted with the law and we're we're completely pierced to the heart by this thing. And now, you know, Ezra and the Levites are telling us we have to go have a party and and feast our friends and, you know, and, and have a big party that we can offer portions to other people who are in need. Um, and so it really takes on the new tenor of what the feasting of the people of God means. It's not because... We're sort of beating our chest in the midst of life and saying like, ah, yes, eat, drink and be merry. We're so awesome. You know, life is so good and we're untouchable. It's saying it's really only by God's goodwill that we continue in life. And, you know, as Solomon said in the consecration of the temple, you know, what have we given you? But you but what you have given us first, you know, all things belong to you and we have given you of what is thine own. Um, and this is the offering that the people are called to offer a meaningful feast not one of self-aggrandizement, but one that recognizes with penitence that God is good and they are celebrating the goodness of God and the joy of the Lord is their strength that day. This is inverted in a weird way in our second lesson tonight with Acts because you have 
Paul preaching to the people of Lystra in in the in the Lyconians, and you have um, you have you, you have this healing miracle that is meant to echo the healing miracle of Peter early on in the Acts of the Apostles. So it's this preaching and this sign of power that you know that God has, has you know is is confronting the you know the people of that you know sort of pagan town. And, you know, what do they do is they hold the feast immediately, right? There's no sort of collective repentance that comes about like we see in Nehemiah 8. So everyone's like, good news, like the gods have come among us and they're going to take care of us and give us whatever we need. And they're going to heal us of all our sicknesses and they're going to do this whole thing. And they're like, let's go offer tons of sacrifices to the pagan gods of the city because clearly that's working out. Paul and Barnabas are like, no, wrong, way wrong interpretation of this in a way that the, you know, the the people returning from captivity said, like, how can we feast when we when we know we're so bad? You know, that there's a there's a sort of a consolation that has to be offered to them. And on the, on the other side, you know, it's you know, it's we're having this feast, but without any of the repentance that needs to go with it. And so it's like, no, 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 we need to pull you back in the direction of saying God has very been very patient with you. But that patience has now come to a point through Jesus Christ to whom you need to repent and submit. Otherwise, this is not going to be the kind of big party that you think it is. And so in either case, we have something that I think confronts all of us in some way. Either we're that kind of, we, we might find ourselves in the company of those people in the, after the captivity saying, wow, like, I really don't know by what, you know, right I have to stand here. How can I offer a joyful song unto the Lord, given the things that I know of me and the things I know of the people and the world I dwell in? And there's a word that needs to be spoken to that person to say, you know, even so, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And there's a consolation that needs to meet the heart in that place. And there's a part of us, maybe in the same person, that is the people of Lystra in this case, saying like, ah, the goodness of the Lord is really a sign of validation that I'm doing awesome and I've been doing all these, you know, kind of weird stuff, but God doesn't mind. And to that person or to us, to whatever extent that's true of us, we need to say, yeah, that's not really true either. And we need to have a little bit of that sense of the seriousness of these things and be brought back to that as well. So wherever you're at, you know, whether it's the need of that consolation or a need and a little bit of that correction, there's a place for us to be called back into that prayer tonight, that even though our lives are brief and insubstantial, God is good. He gives us his own eternal life. And that is what holds us up. And that's what allows us to offer these prayers. And so with that, we'll turn to our intercession on page 590 of the prayer book. Let us pray. Accept, O Lord, our intercessions for all mankind. Let the light of thy gospel shine upon all nations, and may as many as have received it live as becomes it. Be gracious unto thy church, and grant that every member of the same in his vocation and ministry may serve thee faithfully. Bless all in authority over us, and so rule their hearts and strengthen their hands, that they may punish wickedness and vice and maintain thy true religion and virtue. Send down thy blessings, temporal and spiritual, upon all our relations, friends, and neighbors. Reward all who have done us good, and pardon all those who have done or wish us evil, and give them repentance and better minds. Be merciful to all who are in any trouble. And do thou, the God of pity, administer to them according to their several necessities. For his sake, who went about doing good, thy Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God 
and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with us all evermore. Amen. Thank you all for joining in tonight, and thanks to Jill, my co-leader. Hope you have a wonderful evening. It's good to pray with you. Thank you, Father Hayden. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you both. Have a good evening.